Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Leadership Window podcast. I'm Patrick Jinks, leadership and strategy coach and president of the Jinx Perspective. Glad to have you along. This is an exciting episode because this is the first episode where we have a guest. And I've promised you some fantastic uh, guests on the show. And uh, listen, I don't know how I might have been able to pick a more appropriate first guest. And I'm going <laughs> to, I could spend the entire time just talking about him and how much he has meant to me in my career, my life, this business everything that we're doing, but I want to reserve time for him so that we can pick his brain a little bit and get his wisdom. But Dr. Jim Smith is the founder and president of Leadership Systems Incorporated. They're in High Point, North Carolina. I am honored to serve as one of uh, Jim's adjunct coaches, but Jim is the real deal. He coaches, he designs leadership development programs, he writes Everything he does is really with one objective, and that is to move people from their current state to their desired state. And he'll tell you he pulls them rather than pushes them there. Jim has three plus decades of leadership coaching and training. He's focused on training coaches using his master coach model. In fact, he's author of the book, The Master Coach Model, which we'll refer to here in just a little bit. He has uh, led, get this, do the math on this in your head if you can. He's led over 18,500 coaching sessions. And I I don't know how old this uh, information is I'm looking at. It could be over 19 by now. But that's almost 20,000 coaching sessions. With mid to senior level leaders around the world, he's trained hundreds, probably thousands of coaches. And uh, he would tell you that maybe his biggest achievement with his wife, Karen, is having launched for adults. And uh, they enjoy traveling, working with college students as they plan their careers and future life steps. As we mentioned, he's the author of the Master Coach Model. He loves to apply the art of coaching to, as he says, pull, not push, ask, not answer, and listen, not lecture. I'm still still trying to learn that model. I think I'm better at it than I used to be, but a long way from it. And uh, he just helps develop his clients to think, learn, and solve their current challenges. Um, At one point, I don't know if it's still the case, um, uh, Jim, you can correct me, but at one point, the uh, training that um, Jim did at the Center for Creative Leadership was part of the mandatory training package for all coaches that came through the center of creative leadership, which a lot of people just sort of view as the Mecca of leadership development, maybe even the birthplace of executive coaching. I'm not sure, but uh, Jim has coached and trained with, with CCL for probably the better part or more of three decades as well. Jim, I can't tell you how honored I am um, to have you as my first guest on the program. Welcome. Patrick, thank you so much. What a privilege uh, to be with you as always to, uh, talk about coaching and to uh, share a little bit about what I've picked up over the, as you said, the three decades. It's a, it's an honor, a privilege. 
uh, walking alongside you, uh, watching your uh, rise to prominence and to uh, do things that we only have dreamed about doing. So thank you for bringing us along and, and letting us walk with you in this venue. Just just happy to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, well, you, you mentioned the things you've picked up in 30. You've probably forgotten more than I've ever learned. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I hope to I hope we can uh, I hope you can share some of those things you've picked up along the way. I um uh, what year was it, Jim, when I met you at the, it was a chamber event in, uh, in yeah. Danville, Virginia, you were, you were the facilitator there. And at the time I was working for United way there in Danville in my nonprofit career and, and met you. And we just, we connect, what was that 2006, maybe seven. Do you remember? Uh, I'm going to say probably Oh, four, Oh five. Yeah, it it might've been that far on, back. And I remember those early days and I knew, immediately when you walked in the room this guy got it and uh you would be able to not only move that group along as you did but uh i remember one day just saying to you you know if you haven't thought about doing this full time i would certainly encourage you to do it and you have certainly done it so uh, it's just really neat hooking up with you in those early days well i appreciate it you provided the launch pad i you know as i i was thinking back on our relationship and and looking back through your book jim and this is one of the things maybe we can talk about and, and get your perspective on but the more i've thought about it the more i've sort of seen your coaching of me through the years from that very beginning um, just likened that to leadership itself. And mm -hmm. as I'm looking through your book and I'm seeing coaching and you know, how to, how to coach better. And you could almost, at least in a lot of cases, just take out the word coach and replace it with the word lead. A lot mm -hmm. of these tenants in your book, I just thought, well, if I replace the word to be a better coach with, to be a better leader, a lot of it really is sort of the same thing. Is it not? You know, it really is, especially, Patrick, if someone is in that second or third bucket of life, you know, if they're really rookies and starting out in uh, early in life or they, you know, have never been a supervisor of any sort, it's really a little dangerous to say to that, you know, newly employed first year person, hey, what would you do in this job? You know, because they really don't have much context. Mm -hmm. But all the people that you and I work with are not rookies and so that first bucket of leadership of sort of modeling the way and and giving them the the basic points of leadership and kind of getting them started has pretty much happened at least they they've gotten their feet wet and so from that second and third third bucket on yes coaching is a uh tremendous companion to leadership i think it's sometimes synonymous with um, because, you know, as you begin to take that little bit mature leader, certainly the emerging leader, and start with what they think, start with their fresh ideas, start with what they might do, and you begin to pull on that, build on that, shape that, question that, a lot of things we can do with, with that awareness, then indeed you're walking them down the leadership role with a lot more empowerment and buy-in than you might have otherwise. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely not always synonymous. That is true. Um, one another thing that I've learned from you is that coaching is is um, not the only club in the bag, and it mm -hmm. can't be. Um, but it but as a as a general style of leadership, I just can't think of a more powerful method. 
to mm-hmm. lead. Uh, well, well said. And I do like that metaphor, I guess. We picked it up years ago and it has stuck with us. And I'm not much of a golfer, but I have watched the sport and enjoyed, you know, my close friends and one of our coaches, Chip Howell, is a semi-pro golfer. And it's just really neat to hear them talk about what is appropriate when, and that is one of the basic themes and principles of a good leader and a good coach is trying to know what to do at the particular time and no one club will suffice. And that's a very good point really that you make. Uh, some people have quite honestly struggled a little bit with coaching because they've learned a, a good model, maybe a different model, and they've tried to run it as the only model. And when it, when it struggled, they said, well, that didn't work real well. And they began to toss it. And I, I always want to caution them about not being too quick to apply it in every situation, but look for the really the right sort of scenarios. So yeah, you've got it exactly right. Well, um, I, you know, I got it from you <laughs> and, and, well, and thank you. well, you know, and it is, it's a mindset. That's another thing that, that is, I know one of your tenets of, of, of training coaches Hey, I want to get to, um, uh, I know we're going to talk more about coaching because that is your wheelhouse, but I, I do want to sort of uh, lift this up one level and talk a little bit about leadership. You and I partnered together to uh, help sort of um, strategize for a community leadership program here by uh, um, the chamber, chamber of Commerce down here in South Carolina. And mm-hmm. as uh, part of what you all did at LSI is you went back and did some interviews with a number of military leaders, CEOs of large companies. I mean, LSI works with, has worked with everyone from Chick-fil-A to Siemens to PricewaterhouseCoopers, you know, you name it, the military, Um, and you, as part of the research project you brought to the table, you all identified eight attributes Mm -hmm. that CEOs today say they need and are looking for in their companies that today, in order for their companies to succeed, these are the top attributes they're looking for when they're recruiting leaders and developing leaders. And I think it would be really great for our podcast audience to get a view of what those eight attributes are, because this is out of uh, not only the interviews that you did, which I think were dozens of them, but also you also packed in your experience with clients and what they tell you they're looking for when you develop their leadership programs. So can you walk us through uh, quickly what these eight attributes are. Maybe let's pause and just take each one at a time and talk about what they are so that CEOs today that are listening to this show can think about where they might stand with each of these eight attributes. You know, happy to do that, Patrick. And at your request, I will, but feel free. I'm sure you will to uh, add your your thoughts. And now see, as a good coach, my, my knee-jerk reaction as a mindset coach is to say, well, you've got those eight in front of you. What do you think? And uh, you knew I would probably put, uh, spin that back at you, but you have asked me to to lead the way here and to uh, comment for the sake of the podcast listeners. But, yeah, uh, I was fully prepared, Jim, for that. <laughs> and, and I was ready to say, no, not today. You don't get to do that today. No, <laughs> but, you, but knew it, <laughs> you knew it would probably come at some point. So I'm glad we could get it in the first couple of minutes. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, to to your request, and then that's fair. Then uh, we'll we'll do that. Um, so you know, they're not necessarily in a a priority uh, order or necessarily a descending order. There is a little logic to the cascading and how we've written them out. But uh, 
many people would start with probably vision first. And so I'm not going to start with that one. I just want to refer to it that truly a leader needs a vision, right? If he or she wants to get a group of people to go somewhere, they, they need a vision. But we've really learned over the decades to start with assessment first. Now, why do I say that? To, to assess is often through the coach's question, but it's to begin to ask your followers, your team, well, where, where are we in this? Where are you in this venture? You know, the leader might be new, so he or she would want to come in asking some questions of assessment. Why? To raise their awareness. So uh, what does that mean? Well, sometimes followers are very aware of where they are and what's going on and what needs to happen. Sometimes they're not. How do you know? A good time to start with a question, and they would be questions like, you know, hey, what's working here in the organization? Maybe what's not working? Or maybe we should do some assessments, some profiles or surveys individually or corporately to get a, a baseline, a measurement of progress and success. What's working here? So you and I did that, and it was a good experience to do with that particular group, and they had a lot going on, a lot of positive, a lot of strengths, and maybe they also were beginning to get in touch with a few issues to, to work on. So that's why we like to often start out with the assessment awareness piece, ask a lot of questions. Um, it's not a full-blown consulting evaluation because we're not consultants. We're not trying to see how they measure up to our standards or our strategy. We're just trying to see where they are in terms of their own self and corporate awareness about their job, their mission, and just check in with them. So that's the first one. Yeah, and I like that the assessment is tied to awareness. The reason we're doing assessment is so that we are aware of where we are organizationally or mm -hmm. where we are individually. And I do have a question for you that I think would be helpful for our listeners and for me as a coach as I continue to learn. I find that... Um, doing assessments for one thing, it helps uncover blind spots as I've heard you refer to it. Um, especially the 360 assessments where other people are giving us their perspective of what they see and hear in us. And it sometimes surprises us because they're blind spots. We don't know that we're coming off a certain way or that we appear to be behaving a certain way or having a certain mindset until somebody tells us. And so the assessments give us what I call the macro awareness Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. challenge I find with a lot of the people I coach is the micro awareness. It's like, okay, I can read the assessment and see that, um, you know, I might need to uh, do a little more assertive vision casting. That's what my team mm -hmm. seems mm -hmm. to be telling me. So I see it, I acknowledge it, I don't deny it, but how do I become micro aware? What are some of the coaching tools and tips you use to help leaders become aware mm -hmm. in the moment? Cause I can read about it, you know, now, but then next week when I'm sitting in a board meeting and an opportunity is before me, I might not realize it. How do you get to that micro awareness or how as a coach do you help people with micro awareness? Well, it's a fair question. And I've often taught the coaches at, that I was training at the center for creative leadership or my own coaches for leadership systems incorporated that when you're able to with a coachee or maybe even a colleague that you're leading when you can catch them in the moment. So, so a micro-awareness moment to me would be, you know, having a, a, 
thesis about something they might need to work on, or maybe they've even shared it or it's come up through the assessments. They want to work on, you know, speaking less, or they want to work on speaking more, whatever the needle might be need to move in their behavior. But whenever I can catch them on it, uh, both positively and developmentally. So we'll take both angles. So catching them positively would look like they're doing and trying that behavior. So we might give them some feedback or give them a, a positive uh, moment of what they did well and talk to them about that and really make it clear that they did that and did it well. So positive reinforcement, as most everyone knows, is a lot more powerful than the uh, negative or the development feedback. The other would be on the developmental, right? So we've got this goal they're trying to work on, raise their um, awareness on doing this better. If they didn't do it well, then I might put on that coaching hat and say, hey, how did that go, that presentation? Or how did that sales call go or whatever we're working on? And what's fascinating, Patrick, is they'll often say, well, it went pretty well. It went pretty well, you know, pretty good. <laughs> and I'll uh, be a little surprised because in my view, it didn't go as well. And so rather than saying, no, you're wrong, it didn't go well, I'll continue with a few more assessment questions and say, say, how did you know that went well? Give me a one to 10 on that. And then as we begin to get into the micro assessment and awareness of that particular behavior, then the needle begins to maybe begin to move, or at least they begin to see the range that it could move. For instance, they might give me a, well, I guess it was about a, about a seven. And I'd say, okay, well, seven out of 10, if 10 is good, what, what would it take to be a, a full 10? And then they begin to think a little deep, more deeply. They begin to say, well, I guess I could have done A, B, or C, and then I might come in as a coach and say, yes, I really like how you're thinking. That mm. would have really moved the needle. What would it take to get you to do that next time? So mm. they, you know, now have raised their awareness. They have a little bit of a micro plan to up it a little bit. Or the question might be, what would it uh, look like if you did that next time? And get them to envision a little more of that success having done that differently. So, you know, that, that would be one, either getting me to assess it in the moment or someone else and asking them to be sure to ask for a little feedback after their presentation or their meeting so that they can get a little bit more clarity on that. I love it. And I love the very end of it, I think the most, because um, it's one thing you can be micro aware if there's a coach there watching you and making you micro aware. You know, I, if, if you, if there's someone there that holds up the mirror on the spot, then great. But the next time the coach might not be in the room. And yes. so then how do I become aware? So that the last piece you added about asking them the next time, what are some things that you will do to get you to the next level that helps create a little bit more of that micro awareness. So I, I love that you covered both how to coach people in the moment and also how to ask questions to help them be a little more aware next time when I'm not in the room. So I love that. Um, I think that's it. I think it is moving the needle. It's, um, you know, a little at a time, but in a clear way. And if there's a final piece to that, Patrick, whether you're, as you've said, whether you're aware of them, where by being with them or not, you might say, um, say, since our last meeting, could you tell me how it's gone with your goals in that area? And it's kind of funny, and I don't ever want to laugh at people's uh, well-intended behaviors, but you can usually tell if they've been working on that at all. Mm -hmm. If they 
can give a good specific story or answer. And if they can't, they'll often begin to hem and haw a little bit and uh, hesitate. And, and you can usually tell they've not been working on it. So then that becomes a new goal to be sure they're now focused on that behavior and certainly to write down the goals, et cetera, have them report out on those would, would be another piece to that to be sure it's making progress. Yeah. Well, we could spend an episode on each one of these eight attributes. I mean, very, very easily, but this assess, I'm, I think you're right to start with this one because you got to, you have to be aware. I mean, leaders have to be self-aware as well as, um, you know, that emotional intelligence that makes you aware of, of the others. Take us through, take us through the other seven. We'll, we'll, I know you, we'll move quickly. And the others are a bit shorter because, um, assessment and awareness is really so critical, um, for, for even more reasons than we would have time for, but you've alluded to why that's a good bedrock place to start. So secondly, agility, agility, the ability to, to improvise, to change, to adapt is to make adjustments, especially in our, changing world. You know, mo most people would agree that this is a time for adaptability and flexibility, mm -hmm. more fluid action, uh, so that as the culture changes, the business, maybe the mission demands change, um, we want to be more than ever leadership learners and agile people that are really reading the situation and responding, keeping in alignment with our mission, but to keep a sense of relevance and freshness and newness to some degree. And I gotta tell you, this is a tough one for me. I'm, uh, I've been at it a while. It's good for the, uh, maybe the experience, but it's not so good for the agility. It kind of parallels the physical a little bit as a leader gets older, but I think it's really critical. And there's a couple ways to do that, but I think it's really, a critical piece. Uh, 2020 is teaching us the necessity <laughs> of agility, no Absolutely. doubt about it. And my, my hope, and I'm wondering that boy, the research line on this 20 years from now is going to be amazing to read, but um, I'm finding executives are more agile than they thought they could be because mm -hmm. they have to be. My hope is that when this settles, and, and we're no longer, you know, in, in this crisis mode of a pandemic, my hope is that we carry that learning to whatever the next normal is. Mm -hmm. And remember we can be agile when we really need to be. So why not just be agile? <laughs> you know, why not do that? Why not have that creativity all the time? We're coming up with things that we never thought we could do, but you know, what do they say? Ne necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how do we, how do we carry this agility? I just, I don't necessarily mean this as soliciting an answer necessarily, but I'm thinking, how do we make sure that what we're learning about agility, we carry forward? Mm. You know, that's, that's critical. Um, th this is a connected to being a leadership learner, or if you would, a life, lifelong learner. Uh, so, so agility to me is paired with reading. It's paired with observing, you know, what's going on and particularly the new uh, technology, the new books that come out, the new uh, approaches uh, looking around the globe as widely as possible. And one of the keys for me is um, always looking to, make a new study of things I haven't taken a look at and then making some parallels to my own leadership and coaching. Uh, it's something I was even 
watching some guys cut some trees yesterday and I was watching, okay, what can I apply from climbing a tree and cutting it to my work? You know, I mean, watching this individual's agility was just phenomenal on how you approach things. And I'm always trying to make those connections. And secondly, keeping a youthful teammate. I have a great teammate in Michael Wallace and Mm. watching how he approaches things, his uh, appetite for the not only technology, but approaching things with a fresh new, uh, you know, mindset is really one way to keep me a little bit more agile. Yeah. And we're going to have uh, Michael on the program here uh, probably in a couple of months uh, shortly, but yeah, I I appreciate that. Um, Let's get to the next one. What's number three? So the third is success and should go without saying you've got to have, you want success, but it's a little bit better to find in terms of competency. A lot of the leaders that we uh, study, particularly as I recall those major generals and some of the real senior military people would say, you know, what's critical for leadership is competency. And they would really be clear on that. They de- they expected it, sometimes demanded it. And, you know, I've noticed that our culture kind of gets a little soft sometimes on competency. We want to give everybody their, their opportunity and their shot, and we'll kind of work around everybody. And I've had a chance to do this and I won't name the organizations, but over the years, there's a, there have been a good many that did not value competency. And I would scratch my head. I think we've all seen one or two leaders that we've had to deal with uh, that we thought, how in the world did they get this spot? You know, it's just amazing. They just didn't seem competent. And so they were really big on they need to have honed skills. They need to be able to demonstrate success toward the goal. And they need to get results. And if they can't do that, uh, we need to get them in a remedial or a different spot. We need to, sometimes I say, love them out of the organization to help them get to one spot that they can succeed in. So it probably goes without saying in some places, but that's what they told us. You've got to have competent people. Well, uh, you would think that goes without saying. I coach executives who have people on their team who they're finding don't have the competence they need, but they have difficulty you know, pulling the lever of change for that because they care about the individual True. competency. Um, you know, I, I know, you know, this, there's a, there's a, an academic theory out there called self-determination theory and modern day authors and, and, uh, more mainstream, uh, thought leaders have, have tied this to employee engagement. In other words, having people who are self motivated, to succeed. So not only do you have to have the competency, but don't you have to have the, you have to have a desire for competence. You want people who want to sit like they want to be good at what they do. They don't just want to come in and work. They want to come in and be, they want to show their skill and show their competence. Well, nicely said. And you'll see me use, if you would, the assessment a little bit as a, a thumb to come back to mm-hmm. uh, baseline with each of these other variables, because you see assessment, uh, pairs nicely with competency. And the way I use that is I'll say, sometimes I observe lack of competency or lack of success. And sometimes I'll say, Hey, uh, back to, to assessment. Mm. You, you really don't seem to want to get results here. Am I reading that correctly? Or you don't <laughs> seem to, to be enjoying this job enough to, Oh no, no. You know, the goal's just hanging on around here. The goal is just to maintain the job. And they'll say something that does not at all sound like it would breed success. And then, we can often go back to, so what would be motivational to you? What, what do you get excited about? And I've had long stories, but 
I've had some uh, big corporations uh, hire me to come in and coach. And as soon as I could see they, they were not motivated, I would just very tactfully begin to ask them questions about what did motivate them. I'd get them dreaming a new job, get them all excited about going. And we'd go back to the uh, CEO or the uh, president of the company and say, Hey, I think we've got them to dream a new dream and I've already got them packing. And they just are thrilled that this person has dreamed a new dream and is happy Mm. to go off. So it's a win-win. But it goes back to getting them to assess why they're not competent. Well, and what the leaders have done in that, case that you just described is that they have invested in helping their people Mm -hmm. develop the competence they've invested in you right so whatever that investment looks like the leader has a role in helping to develop the it's not just okay you you come in here you got to be competent and if you're not you know that's it the leader has a role in continuing to grow that competency Mm -hmm. for that individual do they not Oh, absolutely. And it's a big deal to talk about this just for a moment. Uh, In my day, a baby boomer, right? If we saw the, uh, if we had a developmental discussion with the leader of the organization annually, that would be sufficient. You know, once a year, that was enough Mm -hmm. for a baby boomer. Boy, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, the world has changed with the uh, newer generation, certainly the the Gen Xs and people that are are even younger. uh, They want some assessment around their competency, man, you've, you've coached them, Patrick, you know, if they could get it daily, that might be okay with them. Mm -hmm. And boy, from, from the desire of daily compared to annually, that demonstrates how much our business culture has swung. Mm, Yeah. I tell people if, if, if there are any surprises at the annual, the formal annual performance evaluation, something has gone terribly wrong in the leadership mm-hmm. process. Well said. So well let's said. get to number four. Yeah, of course, we could all talk about communication. We all seem to agree, and yet we, <laughs> we don't always break it down and get in that uh, micro look at it. Uh, but, you know, certainly being clear, uh, knowing your why, good old, uh, probably I think one of the most hit on podcast of all is Simon Sinek's uh, Know Your Why mm-hmm. and things like that, that mm-hmm. help ensure our followers, our internal and external stakeholders, what what we or the organization is all about. And uh, really communicating is just vital to mission. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me tell you the best example that we know about this is probably the best way to say it. When we work with the military, one thing we know crystal clear when we work with the top leaders is they're real sure about the mission. But that's incredibly demonstrated all the way down to often the private in an organization, the very rookie of the team. They also know the mission. They can state it. They're committed to it. And many times they'll give their life for it. There's no finer example of knowing mission and being communicative on their mission than we've seen in most spots in the military. But we look at corporate America sometimes, and often the leader knows the mission, but they haven't really communicated it. And if there's a change or a problem going on, they they tend just to not talk about it. This can create some real leadership wrinkles. Oh, man, that that was so well said. And you and I have seen together some organizations where that communication is mm-hmm. just absent and the, the, the rank and file will tell you it's absent. 
and yet the the folks in the leadership you know the higher leadership roles they don't they don't understand it so how can that be we say it all the time we mm. we know it they should know it um so if there's anything i'm learning about communication in the last well this year is that uh, err on the side of of having doing too much of it absolutely <laughs> like you almost can't have too much communication absolutely and you have very well demonstrated in many of your employee engagement assessments when that's a real issue and the leaders are always surprised. They think, well, we've said it, we've talked about it, we've done A and B and C, but you know, every time we get as, as you've taught me, looking clearly at the surveys from the followers, it is just not clear. So yeah. you're right, over-communicate, uh, do it until, you know, until they tell you to stop. <laughs> is there, yeah, is there anything else we need to say to make this crystal clear? And if they say no, but here's the key, Ask them the mission, ask them the issue of the, of the day and see if they can give it to you. Mm, I like that. It's, give it back it's to just me. that simple. Oh. And the guys and gals that can't give the clear uh, articulated uh, why or what the, you know, challenge is or they need to be solving that that's where we need to work. And what there's, there's where leadership and coaching become a little bit synonymous, exactly. just saying, you know, hey, what's what's your expectation of the mission here? Let's see if we're on the same page. Yeah, that's great. What's the you know, a good example? Just a resource is you can Google the Blue Angels uh, briefing. Mm. They're probably the best, mm -hmm. and there's a lot on the table for their safety and their um, success. So you could Google them and watch how they conduct their briefings, and it really is a great. I, I use a lot of the videos and the some uh, seminars. It's fun to watch, and they really do a good job of it. So, again, uh, military really good at it. You'll see it in athletics, and usually you'll see it in medical. Where the stakes are high, there can be injury or, or uh, error, or very, very important to get it right. Uh, boy, that's when you'll see the communication mm, at its best. Mm, excellent. What's the next one? Yeah, community building impact is something that we – didn't naturally think we would see come out of our survey, but um, seeing it this one more and more. So you could say it also as the importance of the culture, the importance of, you know, being aligned with what's going on in our own communities. Uh, some people have not been interested in that. Maybe they're too big or too global to be interested in their community. But the deeper we go, we find that people really need to be well aligned and in touch with their community. And they need to um, both show that they appreciate support uh, their community and, and get that support from them. These people have a long career lifespan and those that don't do find they short circuit it somewhere along the way. Mm. I'm thinking of self-determination theory again. So, and by the way, for our listeners, uh, I just happen to have been doing a lot of reading on this lately, but self-determination theory says that in a workplace, there are three things that motivate people and drive them. In fact, Daniel Pink in his book called Drive gives mm -hmm. the lay terms for this, but his book is really all about self-determination theory. And so num number one, what people want is some sense of autonomy. So I have some control over how I do my job. Mm -hmm. But the second one is mastery, which you talked about that, that was, um, that was number three, success and competency, your competency or mastery that when I'm good at what I do, I'm more motivated to do it. And the third one is relatedness. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't realized until just now, when you described this community building part of leadership, people want to feel related 
to both the mission and organization and their leader. Mm. No, number one employee engagement driver is an employee's relationship with their immediate supervisor and uh, what what uh, Daniel Pink in this relatedness would call purpose. I feel like what I'm doing is connected to something. It's related to something. I identify with it. I think that's this community building piece. Well, exactly. And if I could just use another illustration, it would be I've often heard golfers say, back to that illustration, it doesn't really matter my score. It's who I'm playing the game with mm. that makes it a, a good game. Mm. Uh, also, I've heard people say, you know, Jim, it doesn't matter what work we're doing as long as I'm enjoying my colleagues and getting good interaction with my community. Mm. And as they're doing that at work, they tend to be productive long-term and uh, it just, it's a win-win. And those that aren't, they'll often leave pretty soon and you may never even know why. Well, and that's part of the balancing act of a leader too. As I'm listening to you talk about the golf analogy of, and yeah, all, all my golfer friends say that oh, it's just about being outside and being with friends. And I struggle with that because you know me, how competitive I am. I'm like, no, there's an object to this. <laughs> and so, um, but there is a balance because there's leaders that would hear that and say, but the mission is important. It's not just community building. So there's the other extreme where, you know, people, oh, I'm really related to my coworkers and I have a great relationship with my manager, but we're not accomplishing our mission, you mm -hmm. know? So mm -hmm. there's that balancing act of, yeah, we want to have community, but this is where shared vision comes in because there is an objective here. Well, exactly right. And we're going to see that more and more. And we see even the world around us, the community and things that are going on in our world will speak or speaking loudly to this issue of community more so than we ever, maybe ever considered. Yeah. Uh, so let us move us on to engagement, but with your permission, I know when to defer and Patrick, you are, and have for decades now been the expert in building engagement, assessing engagement. So with all due respect, I'm going to be wise enough to hand this one off to you and I'll be able to comment a little bit more on the other two, but if you would take engagement <laughs> first and I'll be get, glad to add on anything I can can consider. Okay. Well, out of respect. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, this is uh, needless to say one of my favorite ones on this list. Um, you and I have talked a lot about another coach, um, out of CCL named Marshall Goldsmith. And one of the, the things he does in some of his employee engagement stuff, I, I love it. He, we have all these surveys and you've seen them, you've seen ours. Mm -hmm. We use, we, LSI has one and, and, uh, you know, it asks about job satisfaction and it asks about engagement and, you know, is your, is your supervisor, you know, have a good relationship with you and all these things And Marshall Goldsmith says, let me tell you the real questions you need to be asking yourself. I love this. And this isn't word for word, but if you Google his videos, you find this pretty quickly. I think it's five or six questions. He says, just, just ask yourself this. Did I do my best today to advance the mm -hmm. mission? <laughs> Don't, don't ask about the company, your boss, your coworkers. Did I do something today to improve the relationship with my immediate supervisor? What did I do? What's my accountability in this? And that's how I would sum up engagement. We say that job satisfaction is about what an employee gets from their job. Engagement is about what and why an employee gives to their job. Mm -hmm. Um, do I have a, am I, am I, um, 
Am I energetic? Am I passionate? Am I bringing emotional intelligence? Am I demonstrating autonomy, mastery, and purpose as the, uh, the self-determination theory stuff? Am I the first to leave, the first to show up, the last to leave? Um, am I going over and above? If I'm, am I always looking to improve? And so engagement to me is that personal accountability. People complain about their organizations and their bosses all the time. And what a moment when you look at them and say, what did you do today mm. to make it better? Wow. Wow. Again, you said it extremely well. I, I couldn't improve much on that. I can just add that people that are not fully engaged probably right don't do their best work and don't have full enjoyment and so if anybody here in your uh, podcast here has not had a chance or has not taken the opportunity to link up with you to uh, consult in that area of engagement to do an assessment for engagement or to have you come in as we've invited you with some of our clients as well to do a great job moving the needle in engagement, they really should consider taking that opportunity. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, but I, you know, I tell people, I don't care if it's me or who they use, but they got to think about engagement as more than a human resources buzzword. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to take this seriously. Um, mm-hmm. whether it's me or anybody, I mean, read a book on it, read it, learn what it actually is and realize that, your people will lie down in traffic for you if they're engaged. You know, they, they, you don't have to push them and nudge them and you performance appraisals become formalities when you have engaged people. So, mm-hmm. uh, what's the next one? Yeah. So, Hey, we made a division and relevance. Uh, some people would have wanted, as I mentioned, to start with vision. So you always do as a leader and uh, even more so than a coach, I think a leader needs to have a, a destination out there in his or her mind where they're going to and and they need to not only articulate it but help engender the uh, team uh, aspect around that vision and bring in others with that engagement but it should inspire action um, so one of the guys i learned the most from this and many have read his great works jim collins had the pleasure of being with him years ago in atlanta and he had just finished his book, Good to Great, and had not yet at that point written Built to Last, which are great works. But he was famous for the term BHAG, which I got a mm-hmm. kick out of. Yeah. You probably know that. Yeah, every leader needs a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. He needs something that's big and inspiring and can get people excited for the mission. And so, you know, it, it needs to be kind of essentially his or hers, because I think most sort of big works do start with an individual. However, as soon as that vision is uh, put on the table, then very quickly we want to begin to, with that coaching mindset, explore others. What do you think of the vision? What would you add to the vision? How do you see the vision and begin to engage them uh, early on? Why? Because if not, it might not be relevant to them. And it might not be meeting that felt need. And so you, you got to find that, that good, important balance between the appropriate vision and enough relevance to mm. keep them excited about the journey. And again, we've seen this in the military does that really well. And they get them to do some very serious things with the right vision. Uh, we get to see that in sports in a huge way. We've all seen it in sports. And we're learning to get it more into the medical community and the business community. It's not always there. 
we do see it often in some nonprofits, but not at all. And it always comes back, I think, to that vision casting of the leader. And I, uh, as you're talking, when you said sports, I thought about uh, last night it was over at our son's house and we were watching a little bit of the NBA playoffs. And during the break, they had one of the coaches mic'd up um, at like, I think it was fairly late in the fourth quarter. And this is when they huddle over and they're talking about what their next play is and what to focus on. And he's telling them, we got to get to the boards. We got to do more rebounding. If we can get the rebounds, we can win this game. And I think it played into what I talk about a lot where there's the long-term vision. So before they ever got to the game, they had a vision for, they had a game plan and they had a vision for winning. But when the game starts, vision shifts and changes and you not only have to have the big vision, but you have to have all the little tiny visions, what I call the horizon vision, what's right in front of you. We have the vision statement, right? World peace is our vision uh, as an organization. And then, but what about today? What's the vision for this week? What's the vision for this spreadsheet that we're about to take to the board? What's the vision for this presentation I'm going to give at Rotary? What's the vision for our next team gathering? So it's not only the big visions, but it's the little visions that matter uh, Mm -hmm. as much. And, and that's, I think that's, that's what I think of when I think of relevance. So your, your term here was vision and relevance. The relevance is how do I make it real today? Would you agree? I love it. And I like your term, the little visions should all point to the big vision. And if they don't, and this happens a lot of times, the little visions get a little sidetracked and they get to be a, you know, flavor of the month or some sort of a hobby uh, that someone's off on, and th- that begins to erode the the major vision, and it gets it off track. So, yeah, again, back to assessment, coming back, and hey, what's our vision, and uh, how do you see the the weekly or the daily vision in alignment with the big vision? And when you see the the proverbial deer in the headlight look on the follower, uh, they can't articulate exactly how that connects. Then you're you're going to have some erosion of that vision. Mm, man. Again, we could we could do a whole episode on vision. Uh, take us to the last one. Sure. Diversity and inclusion is certainly a real buzzword these days and, and very important. And I, I really like to look at it in a couple areas. Um, it's still the polling of others, including them as an individual, as fairly as possible. Their differences, their gifts, their abilities, all the resources. And it's um, really making an effort to include people I could say it's probably never going to be perfect. I say that because, oh, people are so different. Some like a lot of inclusion. Some are really more introverted. Need that. It's always hard to measure it. I'll just say two key things about this. One is I see it best demonstrated on what I call the faith perspective side. People that generally have the faith perspective understand this notion of giftedness and everybody's important and I should do my role and be on the team and work together. They just sort of innately have it. Um, And and I like that feel. It it kind of reminds me of the bit of the sports analogy of the different players playing their roles and each one finding their, their best use. And when you find that and it's in sync and in synergy, we've all seen it and the team does well and, and usually is successful. Uh, I do like to also say <clears throat> it may be overrated in some ways, and people think it is the answer to everything. If we just had 
somehow a miraculous 100% uh, inclusion, then we would have the right answer every time. I think that may be given a little too much uh, credit, but um, certainly we want to be aware of this and always be asking the question, are we there yet? Or are there things we need to be doing more of different than? And it just takes that assessment to come back and to keep uh, assessing it because too often the leader gets off and going and forgets to come back to this area and is making assumptions. And we all know what happens if we make assumptions and we don't really listen to what the messaging might be. And we need to probably do a little, little or a lot more work in this area. Mm. Your first word, one of the first words you used in describing this was buzzword. And you're so right. Diversity and inclusion has become a buzzword. Well, it has been for a long time. Um, I'm finding in my work that it, it is a buzzword and, you know, yes, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. We're, we're in, along with COVID-19, one of the things that's happened in 2020 with, with George Floyd and with others is the, the conversation on race equity as well as diversity and inclusion has been rightly elevated, right? We're talking about it. We're looking at it and more and more organizations now are looking at this and going, you know, we really do. Yeah, we probably aren't doing the best we can do to be inclusive. But here's the problem, because now as I'm coaching leaders on strategy, almost all of the nonprofits, for example, that I'm coaching, uh, maybe even all of them are putting a, a, a heavier emphasis on diversity and inclusion. But when I pause them to make sure they understand exactly what they mean by it, mm. what so tell me what the work is there a lot of them struggle with what it is. So we are at a point where, okay, I get it. We need to do more of it. Um, we need to be better at it. I'm probably part of the problem, but what does it actually mean then? So what I loved about what you said is you have to be intentional about diversity and inclusion and how different they are. Oh, the, you, you said it perfectly when you said the, the being intentional and making an effort to include people. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm, uh, I'm learning and I'm still learning on this journey too, is that diversity is, is a status inclusion is an action. Hmm. So I might have a diverse staff or board mm -hmm. or team. Mm -hmm. I might not, but the intentionality around making sure I'm including people, and this goes beyond race and ethnicity. This goes to, am I including everybody? Um, does everyone have a, a role that they, you know, do they feel that sense of relatedness and autonomy and mastery? So I'm not surprised that this is one of the eight uh, attributes that leaders are saying today. This is what we're looking for. People that know how to be intentional about this so that we don't miss make assumptions and just go blind into things. So hmm. um, I think what your team put together on this is just fantastic. What a great summary. Um, I know it's, it's helped me as I'm coaching leaders to think about these. Um, if you've got time, I do, Jim, I've got a couple other things I'd like to like to hear from you on. Can we, can I we do. go a little deeper? Um, I would like to hear what, what are one or two of the most common challenges you find yourself coaching leaders on You're coaching executives and this just keeps coming up. What, what are one or two things that you just over and over find yourself coaching on? Yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, you know, you've seen it a lot and, uh, they're easy 
to talk about. I was with my staff talking about them this morning. So number one is almost always balance, personal balance, work balance. I mean, the elusive balance, you know, that uh, particularly the mid to senior level leader, you know, priorities and keeping their personal life uh, healthy while they're still giving a lot to the success of the company, of the organization. So balance is probably number one. Number two would be what we call the transition. This is that classic um, leader moving up. It could be different levels of transition, but the most classic is moving up to sort of that sole um, performer that's been doing a lot of the work and now they're the manager or maybe the uh, manager or the director has moved up to the executive or maybe the executive has moved up to the CEO. So any of those major transitions, they have to do things differently. And it's tough because what they did well to get there was right. Mm. And so that's where you've referenced Marshall Goldsmith's classic work and the title says it all, what got you here won't get you there. And we remind them that this is pretty true in leadership circles. And then they go, Oh, so you mean there's another level? Yes, to to consider. And so as they begin to think about that, we ask them, what would you do differently? And how can we help you make that transition? And then thirdly would be delegation. Uh, at, at all those different levels, it's just doing more of it and more of it and more of it as you move up the leadership pipeline. If you had asked me that question that I asked you, I would have come up with exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah, the same, exact same thing, particularly that second one, um, leaders having to shift from being a high individual performer to being a high impact leader, where the performance is now about the other people performing and getting that. So I really appreciate that. I'm also curious, you know, we talk about your, your you know, three decades of work in this. What, what about leadership has shifted or changed since you started this work? Well, that's a good question as well. Um, you know, as I think about over the years, uh, certainly technology has brought in a lot of changes. I remember one uh, senior leader said that most business changes will come on the um on the trail of a new technological breakthrough. And that's kind of been true. You know, you think about the PC and then you think about the phone and now the, you know, all the internet uh, ads of what's going on, uh, that tends to be true. So the shifting following technology, it might be one of the big ones. The, the other one, and maybe it's simply because I'm now aged and I'm seeing this for myself personally, I knew it was a little bit of an issue, but more so I think today, is that the older leaders um, tend to be consulted less, viewed less useful, relevant, their wisdom, their perspective, sometimes their knowledge. But you see the how this has happened because knowledge is not as critical to get from someone older. You can now Google it or you can get it pretty quickly. Therefore, along with the knowledge, wisdom, and perspective has also been somehow devalued. At least it seems that way to me. So there's this look for the new, fresh, and the innovative to be the solution to everything. And we tend to forget that perspective and that uh, principle and that relationship necessity that the older leaders sometimes will be talking about. And that, you know, the tendency now these days is to kind of not hear that and to downplay that a little bit. Mm. 
That is fascinating. And uh, if we had time, we, it would be interesting probably to hear what hasn't changed about leadership mm. in the 30 years. I mean, leadership is leadership, right? It's influence. And there's some tenets that just don't change over time. Well, I will agree. And I think that would be the biggest one, uh, influence, but influence necessitates people. So relationship, people focus, people, you know, savvy building relationships and all those things I don't think will change whether it's virtual or in person. And um, I think what we want to always be looking for is not only how to value and to build that relationship, but how to to maintain it and to make a periodic contribution whenever we can. And uh, in the old days, I used to just keep up with people's birthdays and people were just so amazed. <laughs> yeah. I had a birthday book. I wrote the birthday in it. I called them on their birthday. <laughs> really card. simple. It always worked. Guess what? Everybody knows your birthday, right? It's uh, posted on the it's on Facebook, on, man. Uh, yeah. electronic media. So that stole my thunder. I have to now look for a little deeper and often it comes to, you know, knowing a little bit about maybe their family or, you know, their kids or the last thing they talk to me about and check in with that or their favorite sports team or something to kind of make that extra relational commitment. So, mm. so I take this old fashioned thing called notes <laughs> and sometimes that helps me uh, come back and make the connection and even utilizing my memos and my cell phone might be a more relevant technological way to do it today. Well, the other thing you do uh, is you send, you do still send physical things. You send cards, you send gifts. I mean, because I we, we are so inundated with the digital that man, it means something when you get something in the mail that you can physically touch and know that someone thought enough about you to, to send that to you. So um, I, I think, you know, some of those tenants might be different because of social media, but some of that never hasn't changed either. I wish this episode could go on. I hate that we, there has to be an end to this at some point. I will tell you this, you will be back on this program probably multiple times uh, over the course of its, uh, over the course of its run. And, um, and I really appreciate it. I have one more question that I want to yeah. ask every guest that comes on this show. And that is, who were the leaders in your early career or life that sort of helped shape your view of leadership, what it is today and, you know, kind of framed your, your value system as it relates to leadership and what, what made them great leaders? Just maybe one or two that come to mind. Well, I'm happy to do it. Uh, my earliest leader that changed my world was my boy scout leader, a guy named Mal street. He was an attorney, but he had time to give to the scouts and we were very active camping and tra trips and it was tremendous experience. No, no negatives, but I was first of all shocked that a guy at his uh, stage in, in busyness in life would give time to students in such a professional way. So he was first. Secondly was uh, a guy that was a minister, a youth director named Gene Webb and Gene did what we're talking about. He would do assessment before he would lead. He would work through his leaders like me, a young high school kid. It was some of the most powerful leadership that even trumped my years at the Citadel, which was pretty much set up to train around leadership. There was two others briefly. One was Howard Hendricks, a professor at uh, my graduate school. He was an author and he was just in tremendous demand but he had time to sit down with a few people that would show up early in the morning and go deep. And then finally, my leadership guru over the decades has been Mike Reed. He is down in Florida. Mike had an outdoor backpacking camp. And as you started out with me, 
he truly has forgotten more about leadership than I will ever know. And I've always marveled by bringing uh, a challenge to him over the decades. And he'll first start with assessment. He'll ask very good questions. He might, he might relate a story, but then he just has that deep personal connection that would uh, engender followership. And even when he hung me off a 80 foot rappel rope up in Tennessee and told me to step back because I could trust him so well, I jumped off that cliff and made it to the bottom. So that was a great moment of leadership. I'll never forget. <laughs> Leaders do that to you sometimes. <laughs> they do that to you sometimes. You did that to me a little bit. I remember, hey, you need to be on my team. I'm like, ooh, what does that take? I got to, uh, that's, and and really, um, no no joke, Jim. This is, you know, you know how I feel about you. I do want my audience to know my answer to the question would certainly include you. Um, you. And, and a little later in, in my career, you know, I, I wish you'd come on, uh, come around a little earlier, but all things in their appropriate time, I know, but um, I really do appreciate that. And I appreciate your, um, your n- newly uh, serving on our advisory board here at the Jinx Perspective and uh, for continuing to engage me as one of your adjunct coaches and trainers at Leadership Systems. I think what what uh, you and I and many of your other partners have been able to do is really figure out some creative ways to partner together, mm-hmm. and understand that um, we're not in we're not really in competition. We're in collaboration, and we're helping people become better at what they do. And as I said in the beginning, moving people from their current state to their desired state. So I mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Um, is there anything else you wanted to, to, to make sure that you shared with our audience before we wrap it up? Well, my thanks to you, as you just beautifully alluded to, um, leadership and particularly coaching is fun when we see people uh, connect at a deep level and they seem um, grateful as well as they enjoy the significance of uh, doing something that is in such a deep way impact in their life. But thank you for your teamwork and my uh, association with you has been wonderful. Look forward to the next time. Jim, I appreciate it. And folks, now you know why I had uh, Dr. Jim Smith on this show, uh, the real deal. Uh, His book, I'm going to put a link to it in the uh, episode notes here. His book is The Master Coach Model. You can get it on Amazon. His organization is Leadership Systems. That's leadershipsystems.com. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and you have a team of leaders who want to add a powerful, powerful tool to their tool chest, Jim's coaching training, leadership coaching training several times a year, normally uh, some online versions of it. You will not learn at a better place how to be a coach if you are interested. So make sure you check that out. And uh, hey, stay with us. We're going to be running about uh, two or three episodes a week for, uh, I guess, about, I don't know, two or three months. And then we're going to back it off a little bit. We started this thing and just had a tremendous response in terms of guests. And I just want to, I want to roll them out quickly. So uh, thank you again, Jim, for being uh, our first. And we'll see you here next time on the Leadership Window, everybody. Pleasure. Thanks, Patrick. Bye-bye now.